Peak Performance knows that according to studies, nearly 30 million men suffer from ED and won't do anything about it. Maybe they're afraid the solution will be painful. Maybe they don't react well to medication. Maybe they're afraid it won't work. Don't be part of that 30 million. Call 1-800-210-8181. That's 1-800-210-8181. Or visit peakperformanceformen.com. Peak Performance. Man at his peak. Men, are you looking for a long-lasting, pain-free solution for erectile dysfunction or ED? Peak Performance is that solution. Here's a list of our side effects. That's it. Peak Performance offers focused linear compression therapy, a revolutionary ED solution scientifically proven to increase blood flow, sensitivity, and sexual performance, all with no side effects, no surgery, and no pills. Call 1-800-210-8181 today for a free evaluation. That's 1-800-210-8181. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Good evening, one and all, and welcome back to the X-Zone. I trust everyone had a super weekend. And as you know, the X-Zone is a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the X-Zone comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, iHeartRadio, Simul Radio, and Simul TV. If you would like to check out the programming we have available for you, 724-365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. My guest to this hour, Exxon Nation, is James Abbott. And following a short scholarship to Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut, James completed a bachelor's degree in political. Um, but that's what research is like for him. James is a member of the Market Research Society, the Chartered Institute for Human Resources, and the British Interplanetary Society, and lives with his wife in Yorkshire, England. Joining us now from Yorkshire, England, is James Abbott. And James, welcome to the X-Zone. Thanks, Rob. Nice to be on. It's, very, it's a great pleasure. It's super having you with us. My goodness, you've uh, everything from research to, uh, my goodness. So, so tell me, what, what's your favorite part about research? I love research because it teaches you new things every day. You learn something new, whatever you're doing mm -hmm. in the subject and whatever subject you're studying. Um, I can't understand people who don't like to learn new things. 
Yeah, that, that boggles my imagination because life is a le- learning experience from the moment it, we're, we're born to the moment we, you know, we say so long to this, this meat suit that we wear. We're learning. Yep, that's right. Uh, you've got a new book that's out. It's called The Outsider's Guide to UFOs, and it's uh, published by Archway Publishing. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a book that I wrote. I've been re- researching for it for about uh, oh, 10 years now, really. But it's, uh, it's a new book which, uh, which tries to be different, which tries to write about not just a single theme or subject, which mm-hmm. is what most books on UFOs tend to do, but to write about the, the whole phenomenon in terms of its history, the numbers of sightings, the characteristics of UFOs, right. and some of, the, some of the best cases. And um, during, do, doing the research for your book, what, in your opinion, was the most fascinating UFO case that you had the, you know, the opportunity of researching? Well, I mean, there are, there are 40 of them in the book, and I, they're all carefully chosen to be oh. pretty credible and pretty good. But... Um, I mean, I can give you two from sure. maybe a hundred years apart. Okay. Okay. The first one occurred in 1909 here in England, mm-hmm. and it was a police officer who was on patrol in the town of Peterborough, down in the uh, in the eastern counties of England. It was night time. It was dark, and he was amazed to see something. Uh, vaguely cylindrical but with lights at both ends Mm. travel across the city and disappear in another direction now being a police officer even in those days you didn't go around telling people you'd seen things in the sky and so he kept it to himself for about two weeks until the local newspapers began to tell stories about people seeing this this object Mm -hmm. or similar objects in the skies of england um, in different parts of England, across the Midlands, in fact. Now, he, he then told his story, and the newspapers put together an account of all these sightings. Now, the interesting thing is, at the time, they called them airships, but there were no airships in the skies anywhere in Europe in those days, apart from in Germany, where they were prototyping some of the early zeppelins and they were very very small and very secret and they would never ever have tested them over england so that particular one is is fascinating was there any follow-up done on that investigation to find out what the airship could have been or where it may have come from as far as we can tell, the air ministry, as it was at the time, did some investigations. Mm-hmm. But, of course, they, they couldn't really do a great deal because aircraft at the time were very, very rudimentary. Um, there still weren't many, many aircraft around. And British airships were still a year or so from being flown for the first time. Mm-hmm. So there was nothing in the skies. So what on earth were those things in the skies? And people in San Francisco, across, of course, and Vancouver and places like that had seen airships as early as the 1890s. And they, they remain a mystery to this very day. Yeah, they do. Um, and a mystery which is difficult to solve. I mean, it's impossible to solve wow. at this distance in time. But it's the sort of mystery that brings you to think that maybe there's something in these early uh, sightings. Now, what is the second sighting 100 years into the future from this last one? 
Okay, well, that one occurred um, in in America in 1952. Um, it wasn't 100 years, but it was certainly a, a good 70 years after the airships had been sighted in San Francisco. Right. When Washington, D.C. had its big uh, flap in 1952. Um, when things were seen over the city by hundreds, if not thousands of people, by airline pilots, by air traffic controllers, by fighter pilots, and... Um, the papers got very excited about it at the time, but again, there's, they have never been explained. Um, um, I know the, the arch skeptic Philip Class tried to explain the uh, the whole affair as being mistakes by air traffic controllers and pilots and general hysteria, but that that could not have been the case. Why do you think there are so many people who are reporting these unidentified flying objects to? The authorities, and yet the authorities basically say, no, there's no such thing. <laughs> yeah, that's the $64,000 question. I think, to be honest, my own opinion, and it is just an opinion on mm -hmm. this, but my own opinion is, is not the same as the uh, people who believe in conspiracies. I believe that governments do know a lot more about this subject than, than they tell us. Right. But on the other hand, I think they're as baffled by it as we are. Um, they may be sitting on more information, but that information has not yet been uh, put together into a, a coherent story. And I doubt very much that it will be in, in our lifetimes. I think this is a long haul. Well, let me ask you something as an eminent aerospace researcher. In your opinion, and your opinion only, sir, do you believe that these visitors, whoever they are, wherever they come from, pose a threat to humanity? I would argue exactly the same as the governments that have studied them argue, and that is that they do not pose a threat. Yeah. And that's simply on the basis of evidence. Yeah. Um, now, these things could be natural phenomenon or they could be visitors from outer space. Who knows? We, we, we simply do not know. But one thing we do know is that virtually no one has ever been harmed by them. And, and the, the stories of harm tend to come from one side of the story uh, completely, which is the abductions and experiencing side. I have mixed opinions when it comes to the abduction scenario, uh, mm. because I've had the opportunity of speaking to, to people who claim to have been abducted. But the lack of evidence, the lack of proof that the abduction has actually taken place is only collaborated by hypnosis, and I give no credence to hypnosis whatsoever. No, I agree with you entirely, Rob. I think that's um, that's a fact that people are beginning to mm -hmm. understand. Now, these people may be extremely genuine and may understand and may be seeing things that we, we simply don't understand right. and may have experienced things that we don't understand. But as you say, we have no proof. It's a bit like people seeing ghosts. Uh, my own father saw a ghost and I believe him. But why he saw one, I don't know. And, and whether ghosts exist, I don't know. And because there is no proof and we aren't anywhere near a scientific explanation for what they might be, right. this, I think the same thing applies to abductions. You know, people forget, in my opinion, as a former police investigator, that there are many sides to a story. There's his side, her side, and the truth. <laughs> you and I will be back on the other side of the short break as we continue here in the X-Zone with our special guest this hour, James Abbott. And he's the author of The Outsider's Guide to UFOs. 
I'm Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from around the, in around the world, in and around the world, there you go, from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. See what happens when I get a weekend off? It's amazing. You kind of forget things. I'll be back. Don't go away. Back everyone, every time uh, Craig plays that bumper, I try to see uh, a rearview mirror to see why I'm being pulled over by the cops this time. Exxon Nation, our guest this hour is James Abbott. He is the author of The Outsider's Guide to UFOs that is uh, published by Archway. His website is www.jamestabbott.com. Um, England, I believe, also has a history with... UFOs, unidentified flying objects, whatever they may be, going back to World War II, and they were called Foo Fighters. What can you tell us about this? Oh, Foo Fighters were an incredibly fascinating story from the Second World War, which uh, was, it was the lighter side of the stories that mm -hmm. came out of a really terrible conflict. But um, they were objects and lights um, which were seen by aircrew, and they were seen by aircrew on all sides. It, it at the time, it was the British and Americans that thought they were German and Japanese secret weapons. Right. And the Germans and Japanese thought they were American and British secret weapons. But they, they flew alongside bomber formations. They flew in between the bomber formations. Um, there's a very good story of an RAF raid on Essen in 1943 when a flight sergeant who was captain of a, an RAF Halifax bomber saw a very large tubular object flying alongside him and his crew saw most of his crew anyway the uh, the bomb aimer didn't see it but most of the crew saw exactly the same object so as again you see as far as we know not a single military aircraft was ever damaged by foo fighters as they were called um the term was a, a, an american one that was made up by american air crew who got frustrated by being um, disbelieved by their intelligence officers when they got back um, and they were the ones that first called them Foo Fighters but there are photographs on record and there are lots of individual witness statements to virtually every air force in the world it, you know if you did just the four top ones the the Japanese the uh, British the Americans the Germans you know I've always believed that military intelligence is the most <laughs> popular oxymoron in in history um, yeah, I'd agree with that. Is it possible that the Foo Fighters were actually electrical static discharges caused by the airframe of the uh, of the aircraft itself? Yeah, it's very possible. Um, and and in fact, uh, a number of experiments during the war mm -hmm. tried to recreate them to try and see whether that was what yeah. was happening. But nobody has yet done that. Um, we know that there are electrical discharges yeah. in the air which get caused, but no aircraft. Um, certainly that I've ever read about, has managed to recreate the sort of things that these Foo Fighters did during the war. 
Um, they zipped into bomber formations and zipped out again. This tubular object flew alongside a, a Halifax bomber formation for a while and then disappeared. Um, and there are, are, are accounts of disc-like objects also being seen. The Japanese saw them as uh, uh, fiery globes. Wow. Too much sake in their uh, diet, I guess, over there. <laughs> yeah, I'll drink to that. Um, were there any films taken of the Foo Fighters that, that exist in the public archives where people could actually go and, and see what they look like? I'm not, I, I don't mean about, I don't mean photographs. I, I mean actual film footage because during World War II, there were so many, uh, airmen who were taking photographs, uh, cameras, uh, you know, uh, motion pictures with 16 millimeter cameras. And I was just wondering if, if to your knowledge, as, as a researcher, if such a film does exist. As far as I know, Rob, no. Wow. Um, it, there may be some in government archives mm -hmm. somewhere, um, and there are one or two. There, I, I have seen one film online, right. which, to be frank, I'm not totally sure of, so I wouldn't recommend it. But the um, but there are lots of still photographs taken by the crews on these aircraft, including Japanese and German aircraft. Well, the next time Nick Pope is on the show, I'll have to ask him about that. Yeah, do. Yeah. He's, he's, he's well up on that. He's, he's a great guy. I've had the opportunity of having him, on the show, having him on the show a number of times, and it's always a great pleasure speaking with him. Yeah. Is the UFO phenomenon global? Is there any, any part of, this, con, of this, this little blue planet that UFOs have not been seen? I can't answer that question, Rob, because I don't know. What I do know is that there is a lot of the planet where they have been seen. I mean, there may be parts of, uh, you know, darkest Africa sure. or the Indonesian islands where they haven't. But we have reports. We know there are reports from China, from Russia, India, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Canada, you name it. There are, and of course, virtually all of the countries in South, South America have um, records of this, and some of the governments, like the Chilean government, have set up special departments to look into it. It's funny, here in Canada, the uh, the UFO desk of the military and uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police has been disbanded, and all UFO reports are now being channeled to Chris Rutowski at a university up here in Canada. Yeah, I think that's pretty much what's happening to the subject in virtually every country, um, and it's partly because governments want to distance themselves mm -hmm. from the subject um, and also because they want to save money. Um, the subject costs money for governments because the more records they keep, the more uh, applications for free, freedom of information uh, releases they get and the more money that costs in bureau bureaucratic terms. But wouldn't this be feeding into the cover-up conspiracy theory that so many ufologists actually believe is out there? I, for one, do not believe there is a conspiracy or a cover-up. Um, but this certainly would feed that conspiracy theory. Yeah, I think governments have a have a difficult job here. I mean, yeah. they, they started after the war acquiring information on, on a phenomenon that they at that time they were really worried about and they thought that you know, they needed to know about um, because partly because they thought it was somebody else that was, was that was doing it. Uh, the British and Americans thought it was the Russians or the Soviets at the time. Mm -hmm. And the Russians and most of the countries of Europe thought it was either the Russians or the Americans playing silly devils. But the 
the whole thing about this this subject is that it has developed and matured over 70 years so that now we actually have governments releasing quite interesting information without comment. I mean, the, the Department of Defense in the US released that um, uh, video or the videos of US Navy pilots seeing objects over the Pacific and the Atlantic. And that those were extremely credible sightings. I've wondered about those because uh, it, it doesn't make sense that all of a sudden the US military is releasing this type of information after so many years of saying, no, they don't exist. Yeah, I think that's the big question that everybody's answering. And, mm-hmm. and to be honest, uh, Robert, it, it falls into the, um, the lap of those who believe that the governments actually don't know what's going yeah. on and that they are really using little dribbles of information like that to see if anybody else can get to the bottom of it. This is potentially a huge subject, whatever these things are, whether they are meteorological phenomenon or physical Mm. phenomenon in the atmosphere, we don't know. But the point is, it is such a huge um, area of study that something has to be done about it. And I don't think, because it's global, I don't think any single government is ever going to get to the bottom of it. You know, I, I often ask ufologists, in today's technology, People are hacking into computer banks, whether it's the Americans hacking into others or others hacking into the Americans or the Canadians or the Australians, whoever. Yep. Why hasn't someone hacked into a database in the United States? And if there is information about UFOs, you know, just dropped it out on the Internet, exposed it. That would be, that would be in my opinion, the automatic fall of the U.S. government because people would realize that the government had lied to them over all these years. And yet no one's done that. Mm, I I know. I think what people have got to understand, I think, is that, yes, governments have lied to them because governments always lie. They are, you know, that's, that's the way they govern. Sometimes there are bits of information that you cannot tell people. Yes. And, and that's for two reasons, or it's potentially two reasons. One is that the information is so damaging to the nation itself that you don't want people to know about it. And that brings into mind the sort of cover-ups that were um, run during the Second World War when disasters happened. Um, The Americans slapped a huge secret uh, cover-up on the Slapton Sands disasters just before D-Day. The British um, covered up the sinking of an aircraft carrier. It, It was done for what you'd call strategic reasons during the war and for everybody's good. But there are different sorts of cover-ups. And another sort is where the governments really are wandering around in the dark themselves. They don't know what's going on. And they're afraid really to let people know that they don't because they think that might be more scary than whatever it really is. And then you've got the other possibility that is a matter of national security, that by revealing this secret, you put the entire security and the safety well-being of the nation at risk. And I, I agree with that. You and I have to mm. take our news break at the bottom of the hour, my friend. Exonation James Abbott is our very special guest. And his website is jamestabbott.com. And he is the author of The Outsider's Guide to UFOs. And we'll both be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. 
My name is Rob McConnell. You can send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com. And to find out all about the great programming on the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV, visit www.simultv.com. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. back everyone uh, there are, I've received a few emails over the last couple of weeks asking why are bumpers about 25 seconds long when they used to be about five to ten seconds well it's very simple because not only does this show go on the radio but this is also part of the Exxon TV channel on simul TV so when we have a guest on like we have James when you're looking at the screen James is photograph and you know images that relate to the topic are on my left-hand side. And when we come back from the commercial breaks and the news, we just put up little promos of, you know, who the guest is, what we're talking about, and so on, so that you, the listener, or you, the reader, you, the viewer, know where we are. Did that make sense? You're all nodding your heads. Okay, there you go. James Abbott, once again, is our guest. He's the author of The Outsider's Guide to UFOs, published by Archway Publishing. And why do you think, James, that the majority of all UFO reports on this beautiful planet of ours emanate from the United States? I think that's fairly simple. It's because the Americans are a very open society. They may not believe it at the moment, Mm -hmm. um, but they are. And they always have been. Um, they, they always have loved freedom of information, perhaps more than any other nation on the planet. Um, and I think, to be honest, the, uh, the freedom of the press in Britain was uh, one of our pride and joys. But the governments of European countries are much more careful about mm. the information they release 
and the sorts of things that get into the press. So I think the Americans have um, the sort of culture which allows people to report these things. They also have quite an exciting culture. I think the Americans and Canadians are much more um, open to the excitement of the UFO subject, whereas um, some of the European countries regard it as a little bit... um, Out there? Sorry? A little bit out there? Yeah, a bit out there, yeah. a bit, a bit, um, un- very unusual. And of course, they, they tend to be more religious, um, and therefore to have religious objections to the subject. So, yeah, the Americans are more open. Um, Not to mention think- that there is a larger amount of alcohol being consumed, and the Americans are very sensationalistic. Yeah, that could be, but <laughs> I think the, the, the Brits are pretty good at consuming alcohol as well. Only Guinness in the pubs. <laughs> Um, what is your opinion of the Roswell incident going back to 1947? Oh, that's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, that that incident started the whole thing off, yeah. and um, the I mean, you could talk about it for the entire hour because there are aspects to it which really puzzle people. But my my big thing about Roswell is really that first that first thing that was was let out by Colonel Blanchard when he announced to the press through Walter Hout, his press uh, agent, his press officer, that discs, a disc had been recovered. And the press release actually starts with some with a phrase which goes something like, you know, to settle all the hysteria that's been going around over the last few weeks, we have actually recovered a disc. And the and the, that press release was incendiary. It was explosive. Um, the newspaper printed the article with the uh, with the headline about Roswell RAAF finding a, um, a a UFO, a saucer, and that set the whole thing off. Now that alone raises my suspicions. Why would a colonel who's on the career ladder for general and eventually became a full general? Uh, why would that chap release that sort of press release when that news was something that only the president of the United States should be able to re- to, to release if it happened in the United States mm-hmm. or the prime minister of Britain or the prime minister of, of Canada? That was not something that a lowly colonel should be releasing, but he did. Now, the question for me is why? You can set aside Jesse Marcel and all the other characters in the story for the time being. But the real mystery for me is why that press release was released. Because if the United States was trying to cover up a flying saucer, a secret thing that they had found and that they hoped to learn masses and masses of new technology from, they certainly wouldn't have put a press release out about it. Exactly. Plus... We know for a fact that during World War II, the Germans were working on a disc craft. And with the, with the uh, Germans coming over and working with the United States government, is, is it possible that what actually crashed was a, an experimental disc craft that the Americans had, had created with the help of the Germans who you know, came over and worked with them? Yeah, it's entirely possible that something something that they tried yeah. didn't work and it crashed. And of course, there are there are other theories about the non um, extraterrestrial mm-hmm. side of Roswell, which Nick Redfern 
has um, recently yeah. published in, in one of his books, which is that it was a, a secret experiment gone wrong. Now, to me, although I'm not totally convinced by Nick Redfern's arguments, I do think that he's on the right track because I don't think Roswell was everything that, that, we, that we currently know about it. Something was going on there. Big time. And, Big time. And, and I'll tell you yes. why I think there was something more to this. And once again, I've had Kevin Randall on the show. I've had... Uh, Schmidt, I've had uh, Jim uh, Carey, the entire crew, Stanton Friedman, and I always ask one question that, that baffles them. If Jesse Marcel, the base intelligence officer, goes to Brazel's farm, collects evidence, and as soon as he gets there, whatever he takes, puts into his vehicle, once he touches its evidence, what does he do? Instead of maintaining the chain of evidence and bringing the debris back to the base, he goes home, wakes up his wife and kid, and lets them play with it. As soon as that happened, in my opinion, the Roswell case is no longer has nothing to do with UFOs, little gray men, or whatever. Yeah, I agree with you entirely. I think I think Roswell is is a, is a huge story, but the sure. story is not about a UFO that was recovered. It's about why those those uh, press releases were put out why the uh, U.S. Secret Service went around intimidating people and Don Schmidt has, has, has um, told us about all of that. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a cover-up going on, but what it was covering up is something entirely different, I think. Could it be Project Mogul? Would the American, would the American uh, military want the public to know that they had actually developed these high-altitude balloons that could eavesdrop into the USSR? Yeah, that's a, that's another theory. That yeah. if it was a mogul balloon that crashed, then they wouldn't want anybody to know about that. So you put out a story that this thing was a flying saucer from outer space with little green men in it, and you spread around little rumours that there may have been bodies. And Blanchard actually takes Walter Hout to see one, but conveniently from a from a distance from the from the door of the hangar, and he fools his own friend so completely that Walter Hout gives an affidavit just before he died to say that what he'd seen was the truth. But once again, Hout's affidavit before he dies, what credibility does that have? Here you've got a man who's about to die, he gives a piece of paper, swears it's the truth, and drops dead. <laughs> yeah, I think I, yeah. I think I would believe that he believed what uh, what he'd seen. Right. I, but I, I agree but with you there. It could be misinformation. Well, sure. Um... We, we touched briefly on alien abductions. What is your take on that? For example, the Betty and Barney Hill case, uh, Travis Walton, two of the most renowned cases going. Yeah. Um, I have deliberately avoided those subjects because they are so emotionally loaded yeah. um, for the people who are involved. Uh, everything I've read about Betty and Barney Hill and, and Travis Walton and indeed all the others uh, shows me that these people are genuinely traumatized by what happened to them, uh, whether it was uh, a spaceship that um, that abducted them and conducted experiments on them, I don't know. Um, and, and nobody does. But as mm -hmm. you said earlier on, I think the, the fact that most of the evidence for it has come through uh, hypnosis see, would, in my view, detract from the, the validity of the evidence it's not in my view evidence and this whole subject 
really you can you can lay all of that stuff to one side because you can concentrate on the physical side of it. Yes. If if you can prove that one single sighting or observation of a strange object in the sky was not of this planet and not of this time or dimension, then we're in a ball game. And unfortunately, there's nobody on base in the hitters. You're down to your last hitter who has three balls and two strikes. Sounds like a, a team in Toronto, doesn't it? I'm not going to go there, Craig. I'm not going to go there. I'm not even going to mention the Blue Jays. Oh, I did. We've got to take our final break. Please stand by, James. Exonation, our guest this hour is James Abbott. He is the author of The Outsider's Guide to UFOs. And uh, James's book is published by Archway Publishing. Once again, his website is www.jamestabbott.com. Not James T. Kirk, James T. Abbott. There you go, dot com. We'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And don't forget, Exxon Nation, you can, you can read or download the current edition of the X Chronicles newspaper that we've been publishing since 1990 every month at www.xchroniclesnewspaper.com. I'm Rob McConnell. We'll be back. Don't go away. Our guest this hour is James T. Abbott, and he's the author of The Outsider's Guide to UFO. By It's also published by Archway Publishing. It's available in digital, paperback, and hardback copies through Amazon and booksellers everywhere. James, uh, in your opinion, what would you say is the, is the skeptic's strongest argument against UFOs? <laughs> I don't think they have a strong argument against UFOs because clearly UFOs exist. They exist full stop. Uh, people are seeing them all the time. Mm-hmm. Air pilots are seeing them. Military pilots are seeing them. Police officers are seeing them. Um, the question here is what they are. And if you mean by that, what is the skeptic's strongest argument against visitors from another star system or another dimension or another time? then, again, I really don't think there are any strong arguments. Mm. However, equally, I don't think there are, very, there, are, there are any real strong arguments that they are from another galaxy, time, or dimension. The fact is we just don't know enough to be able to put together any strong arguments. And this is what my book is really trying to show, that, that what, what we do know and what there mm-hmm. definitely is now is a powerful a priori case that a phenomenon exists, whatever it is, and that there are inexplicable events and observations taking place around the globe every year, thousands and thousands of them. And whatever speculation is there is about what they are or not, 
or, or aren't really. I suppose there's there's evidence, there's enough evidence on the table for us to be certain we need to know more and we need some long-term scientific study of that. In your book, you speak about strange characteristics as reported by witnesses. Now, why are they particularly strange? Uh, I think they're strange in the light of what skeptics like to claim. So if you if you think about UFOs, about mm-hmm. things in the sky, most people think that um, the misperceptions are really about myth, about the myth of films and books and, uh, and TV. So the skeptics tend to claim that people see what other people see and that they and, and the sorts of things that are reported on radio, TV and in the papers. So if you take those two arguments as examples, mm-hmm. I find it strong that people don't report what is portrayed in science fiction film, which at whatever time they're living in, if you go back to the time of the early 19th, 20th centuries, Jules Verne and H.G. Wells were showing uh, UFOs or, or things in space as being, that, well, they looked like a large artillery shell. Um, but in the 50s, the comic books had um, cylindrical objects with fins and pointed noses. And in the 90s, our ideas of spaceships were vast rumbling intergalactic freighters or multi-nosed space fighters. What people see and report isn't any of that. Um, For the last century, people have seen the same sorts of things. Glowing circular objects, large triangular things, huge cigar-shaped craft, discs, those sorts of things. And that's consistent over the whole period. Whatever Whatever you look at, they see those things. And they also report very strange characteristics about those things, uh, which you wouldn't report if you really wanted to be believed. I mean, why would you report these things as wobbling, for example? If you wanted somebody not to laugh at you when you said, I saw something strange in the sky last night, why would you say it, it whizzed down, stopped and wobbled? But that's what people say. They say they are silent, hovering, they zigzag in flight, and they wobble. Why don't the UFOs, in your opinion, just land, you know, land on the front lawn of Buckingham Palace or in the front lawn of, uh, of the White House on Parliament Hill here in Canada? Why don't they just land, get it over with? Why maintain the cloak and dagger effect? Yeah, that was the lovely. That was the lovely argument. I mean, Philip Class could be a bit cruel at times, but mm-hmm. that was his lovely argument, wasn't it? About them, about the lights and the landings and all the rest of it. You know, if you if you don't want to be seen, then why the lights? And if you do want to be seen, land. Exactly. Now, the the whole point about this UFO phenomenon is. We must remember first, we don't know what they are. True. They, it could be physical. It could be something meteorological. It could be something that's perfectly explicable if we study it enough. But if, and it is a very big if, these things are visitors from some other place, mm-hmm. then maybe they don't want to land. Maybe they want simply to be seen and to be known and to stimulate something to actually cause us to think, to study to work things out for ourselves. How much influence do you think that movie makers around the world have when it comes to UFO sightings and extraterrestrial contact and even alien abductions? 
Yeah, there's a there's a huge David Clark has a has, has a theory, doesn't he, about uh, the whole thing being about myth and the media. So the media show something; they have a big film out, yeah. um, you know, something close encounters or interplanetary or extraterrestrial stuff. And then everybody goes outside and sees spaceships in the sky and, and reports them to the papers. And to a certain extent, I would guess that's true. You know, there, there are people who will do that. But, but you can take any year in any decade of the last 70 years and people see these things in the sky. And they report them in ways that the media don't report them. Now, Spielberg actually admitted that, that his main film, I mean, Close Encounters, was based not on something that he dreamt up and that he thought that would influence everybody else. It was based on previous people's explanations of what these things looked like, what they did, how they behaved, and so on. Mm-hmm. So he was, was, was chasing reality, not the other way around. You know, when you look at some of the, uh, some of the sci-fi movies, uh, for example, The Day the Earth Stood Still, the... Um, mm. Uh, War of the Worlds, the new version, and Independence Day. You know, if I was an extraterrestrial and I kind of, uh, you know, was, was cruising around planet Earth and I kind of tapped into the frequencies that uh, would allow them to watch these movies, my God, I wouldn't want to land either. <laughs> Why? Would you be scared? Well, sure. Look what they did to the guys in Independence Day. They, you know, these big monsters in, in these suits and then in the War of the Worlds, you know, these 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 robotic creatures from another planet come charging out of the earth. And, you know, and look what they did to that poor robot in the day the earth stood still. And, and Michael Rennie, I think was, was the actor. No, it wasn't Michael Rennie. Was it? Huh? I forget. Anyway, you know, they're, they're, they're portrayed by some filmmakers as bad guys. Yeah. Because that's, that's what films are all about. Films are about the white hats and the black hats and the white hats have to be the Americans and the black hats have to be the aliens. So the white hats always win. There's no doubt about that. Is it possible? You just, you just brought an interesting point to mind. Is it possible that the extraterrestrials have replaced the, the, the sci-fi movies with ETs, UFOs and alien abductions have, have replaced the cowboy and Indian movies? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think to a large extent, that's exactly what's happening. I mean, Independence Cultural. Day is the is the archetypal cowboy yep. story. It is. So yeah. the bad Indians come and try to get back their land and uh, and sort the white people out, but the white people with their white hats are really strong and defeat them. My God, there's even racism in the movies. <laughs> yeah, but it's. I think if there are such things as aliens and they are zipping around in these these craft, their technology mm-hmm. is so huge and so far in advance of ours that nothing we could do. Independence Day just would never happen. Listen, we've got about uh, two minutes before you and I have to say so long. What are your final thoughts for the Exxon Nation listening to you right now around the world? I think... I think the final thoughts are that we need to keep an open mind. And what I would really love to happen and what I, the reason I wrote the book really was because I want people to understand that this is a serious subject. It may be totally natural phenomenon or it may be something that we simply have no idea about at the moment. But people, we need Mm -hmm. to take it seriously and stop laughing at everybody who says they've seen something. They may be right, they may be wrong, but they 
they honestly believe that they've seen them. So what we need with this, this phenomenon is a hundred years old at least, and we definitely know it's 70 years old, and there have been millions upon millions of sightings. And amongst those, even the governments admit that there is a proportion around 5% that are inexplicable. Now, a phenomenon of that size needs to be explained, and that's really what I want to happen. I want somebody to take it seriously enough to spend some money long term, not just for the next year or two years, but for the next 50 years and find out what is going on. James, I want to thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure speaking with you. I wish you continued success. And we'll have to have you back on here in the Exxon in the future because I still have questions I wanted to ask you. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. That's great, Rob. Thanks very much indeed. It's been a privilege and a pleasure to be here. Take care, my friend. Be well. Cheers. Cheers. Exonation, our guest this hour has been James T. Abbott. He is the author of The Outsider's Guide to UFOs. It's published by Archway Publishing. It's available in digital, paper, and hardback through Amazon and booksellers everywhere. His website is www.jamestabbott.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. At Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best. And that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. Working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger, fresh for everyone. It's the big $10 sale. So mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone.